You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to church. My name is Sarah New. I'm the executive director of Forefront New York City. Um, we're an LGBTQIA affirming and anti-racist church. And I've been trying to get into the habit of saying this more um, in the beginning of my sermons, but we're also, we're church in New York City, but we're also a church um, living in occupied Lenape land. Um, I just want to acknowledge the, the lands and its origins and the people who have sustained it. So we're starting, we just finished our Clarity in Crisis uh, sermon series, and we're starting a new sermon series around um, Not Your Children's Bible. So we're kind of revisiting old Bible stories that we grew up learning as kids, and that now we're going to revisit now that we're adults. And um, the sermon will kind of touch on some of the stuff that's happening around sort of in our country today and that sort of thing. But I just wanted to assure you that even though it might feel a bit weird to be talking about children's stories uh, today, um, as a staff and as a church, we're definitely doubling down on our commitment to anti-racism. Um, we have, in the next couple of weeks, our rapid response protest groups. Um, our staff is coming up with like, a new campaign. Um, and you'll be hearing more a lot, lot, a lot more things shortly about our justice team and our various anti-racism groups. So, But in some ways, though, what I'm talking about today is a bit relevant for a lot of us who are thinking about how to have difficult conversations on race and politics and faith with our parents. Um, and the, this particular passage I want to focus on today is on the commandment to honor your parents. So it is the fifth commandment out of the Ten Commandments given to God, uh, given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And it reads like this, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land in which the Lord your God gives you. So uh, <clears throat> if you have a struggling a little bit with this commandment, know that you're not alone. There's a Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, a famous second century sage, that this fifth commandment is the most difficult of all commandments in the entire Bible. Um, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but in this sermon, I'm going to focus on what does it mean to honor your parents when it's difficult to do so. Now, let's figure out first the audience of this commandment, because that's pretty important in kind of determining the meaning. Um, most commentators and the standards consensus is that the commandments really addressed to adults and not children, even though this is something that was quoted to us a lot when we were kids. Um, and so you can deduce that by looking at the rest of the commandments. You have commandments like you shall not commit adultery. You know, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, that type of thing. You shall not co- covet your neighbor's wife, most obviously. And these are commandments that are, I think, pretty obviously directed towards adults. So what does that mean? I think it's pretty significant that this honor your parent commandment thing is directed towards adult children who have perhaps aging parents. And even if your parents aren't super elderly, I think in general, it is when we become, so to speak, adults, we form independent thoughts and start believing perhaps different things from our parents, that it gets tricky to figure out how to honor people for whom you share perhaps different views, different beliefs, different values even. And I've heard from many people in congregation that now that sort of stuck at home your family, um, you're having a lot more difficult conversations or there, or just the national conversation is prompting a lot of difficult conversations about race and rioting and looting, let's say, and police brutality within your homes. Um, and even for some of us whose parents have passed away, I think um, a lot of us are still wrestling with the complicated legacy that left us behind with. 
So it's all to say that regardless of situation, I think unless you're very lucky, I think honoring your parents is not always the easiest thing to do. So I want to get into the Bible in particular and dive into um, some of the specifics. So the word honor in the commandment, uh, it's actually a bit ambiguous because it's not clear if it involves obedience or not. And the, the word honor is kabet in Hebrew, and it means to be heavy. So the idea here is that our parents are people whom we must give weight to, we must take seriously. And later on in Exodus, we have a negative corollary, um, a verse that says, one who curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. And the word for curse is mekalel, which also means to be light. So you see the contrast. Honoring means to be heavy and to curse means to make light of. So we have to give our parents weight, it seems to imply, and not make light of our parents. But still a little bit vague. It's still a bit unclear what that means. So I'm going to dive into some interpretations, but I'm going to give you first a bit of background into Jewish rabbinic scholarship. So in Judaism, quite similar to Catholicism, you hardly read the Bible on its own without any reference to commentary. In fact, Orthodox Jews teach that God dictated to Moses, or wrote perhaps God themselves, the first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah. But God also passed down an oral law that was not written down, that was passed on orally and added on and debated by the rabbis until the destruction of the Second Temple CE, in which case it had to be written down. And that oral tradition uh, is known as the Talmud. And for many Jews, it is seen as as authoritative as the Torah. So the Talmud is basically a compendium of rabbinic interpretation of the Torah. So just uh, as an example, the Torah says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So if I knock out your eye, as punishment, my eye should get knocked out too. Talmud says, actually, what that verse means is that you are old. You have, you owe the person who you injured the value, the, usually monetary, the value of an eye, not that you have to also knock out your own eye. So you see how within Jewish tradition, you don't just read the Torah by itself. You have to read the rabbinic interpretation alongside with it. And as a side note, this wasn't always the case. Um, this, there was a school that said you only read the Torah, and the school that said you had to read the Torah plus the interpretation, and the school that won were the Pharisees. Um, and so that is how, why Judaism is the way it is today. So, and that is, you know, this is why I said the side note, why criticizing the Pharisees can be somewhat equivalent as to criticizing Judaism as it exists today. So I'll return to this point later on, but now I want to look at what the Talmud uh, says specifically on this commandment. And a lot of one the site is from Rabbi Shai Held's The Heart of Torah, essays in the weekly Torah portion. And the commentators will drop the link to that for those of you who uh, are very nerdy like me and like to read up more. So the Torah, as I mentioned, doesn't seem to equate honor with obedience. In fact, it sets pretty clear limits on where parental honor ends. So for instance, if you, you know, the laws are directed to men, if you as a son want to marry a woman who your um, parent disapproves of, you are able, you're permitted to ignore him. Or if you want to worship at a different synagogue where you feel you more greatly benefit from the rabbis, your father forbids you to go out of fear for possible idolatry, you actually don't have to abide by your father's wishes. So you have some religious and romantic freedom. So now that we know the limits, the question then is what is at the heart of the commandment? And here's what the Talmud says. What is meant by honor? One should feed them and give them drink, help them get dressed, welcome them when they come home, escort them when they go out. So it's quite careful in this language that Talmud is, is referring to commandments, uh, to a situation in which you are taking care of aging parents. You know, you have to feed them, that's why you have to get them dressed, escort them, um, 
you know, my parents aren't, um, are, are able to do that for themselves, but I definitely saw my parents do that a ton for my grandparents. Um, and something I always thought about also is, uh, one thing that the commentators say is that there are only two commandments out of the 10 that are stated positively. Um, all the other commandments are stated negatively, such as, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. The only two commands that stated positively are honor your father and mother and remember the Sabbath day. So Walter Brueggemann, a Christian scholar, um, tries to understand what is the overlap between the two. And he says that perhaps the overlap is that the Sabbath is all about acknowledging your value outside of your productive capacity to work and labor. And similarly, we have to honor our elderly parents who have lost their productive capacity, no longer able to work and are vulnerable. And so I think there are two ways we can take this. The first is that the Bible cares deeply about those who are most vulnerable, those who are unable to feed and clothe and get dressed by themselves. And across the nation, we've had 26,000 deaths um, due to coronavirus in nursing homes alone, which is about 25% of total deaths. Um, and I can go on about our responsibility of our state governor for some of this and his various legislation to hold them accountable. But it's suffice to say that in a time in which our elderly are most vulnerable, we are called to honor them above all. So another way to read this um, sort of Sabbath parent connection is, is, and this is an insight I have to credit my partner Abby for, is that even for those of us whose parents aren't super elderly and don't require physical help, I think most of us have had to recognize who are, you know, adults, that our parents no longer occupy the same role they used to occupy in our lives. In One, they're no longer feeding and clothing us, but they also you know, we no longer look to them to be that source of affirmation, support, moral guidance, and perhaps the way we used to. And I think this commandment calls us to recognize that our parents are separate individuals, with their own stories and journeys, and more importantly, that they are deserving of value and honor, even though, regardless of what they do for us, or regardless of what they don't do for us. So I've kind of covered some of the different rabbinic interpretations of this commandment, but I want to end on or transition really more to one of the great rabbis who I have not mentioned yet. I hear something that this rabbi says. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I do not come to bring peace but a sword. If I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So uh, this quote is from Jesus, and of course Jesus is more than a rabbi to us Christians, but we see him as, you know, as a human incarnation of God. But I think it's important not to lose sight of Jesus' rabbinic identity and title. Um, for one, he's called rabbi about 16 times in the Gospels, and as a comparison, he's referred to as son of God only 10 times. And I think once you understand Jesus through the frame of a rabbi, a lot of things he does makes a lot of sense. He'll say stuff like, you have heard it said, and he'll quote the Torah. Then he'll insert his own commentary, you know, but I say this. And essentially what he's doing is providing his own rabbinic commentary on the law. And so Jesus has his own take on the eye for an eye commandment. I don't have time to get into it here. But he also, and this is what I'll focus on, has his own take on what it means to honor your parents. And so later on in Matthew, Jesus the rabbi, and this is what we'll see here, is teaching this crowd of people. And then all of a sudden, um, basically, um, his parents, some translations say his friends, but in other translations says his family, hear what he's doing, and they 
rush to take charge of him because they think he is, quote, out of his mind, a.k.a. they think he's kind of crazy. So Jesus is teaching, and then someone says, hey, your mother and your brothers are here to talk to you. And this, this is how the rabbi responds. He replied to him, who is my brother, and who is my mother, and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus makes quite clear that your blood family is not necessarily your only family, nor is it even your primary family. Because when he says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and brother, he's indicating that what binds this, this alternative model of family that is bound together, not by blood, but by choice, by the choice to do God's will, chosen family, if you have it. And not only that, but if your blood family gets in the way of the life you are called to live and the people who you're meant to be with, your chosen family, so to speak, your blood family might have to take a back seat. So in other words, honoring your father and mother, mother does not put, mean putting your life on hold to live the life they want you to live. But it doesn't end there. So near the end of his life, Jesus honors his mother very explicitly. Uh, and I'm going to quote the Gospel of John directly here. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing by, nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So here you have Jesus, sort of unmarried man at the last hour of his life, looking down and seeing that most of his loved ones have gone. There are only a few left, his mother, his aunt, a few women, and the, quote, disciple, a man whom he loves. And he looks at his mother, looks at the man whom he loves, and he says, you are going to be one family now. Um, and just as, just as context, the word woman here does not connote disrespect. It's just like a way of referring to other women. And the word love here um, is the Greek word for agape, which is the highest form of love, referring to love your neighbor, love your enemy. So if I were to just kind of rephrase what Jesus did using perhaps my own commentary, my own creative license, I would say, I think what Jesus was trying to say was this. No, mother, mom, I'm dying and I'm leaving you, but I'm going to honor you by ensuring that you are taken care of in my absence by this person who I'm deeply loved because you once took care of me. He will take you into his home and look after you because I want my two families, my blood and my chosen family to come together. Also, I'm sorry I didn't give you any grandkids. Um, but in addition to that, I think maybe Jesus would also say, you know, mom, I chose a different life. You know, I lived according to my convictions and it pissed off some people in power. And that's why I'm convicted as a criminal and sentenced to death. And I know at one point you thought that maybe I was, quote, out of my mind and I was crazy. But it wasn't so long ago that you were a virgin, pledged to be married and pregnant. And if some people had their way, they would have sentenced you to death for the crime of adultery. So, but you stay true to your convictions and your vision, just as I stay true to mine. So in some way, I think you see Jesus honoring his mother by taking care of her and by honestly living his life in a way that's true to his convictions. And I think sometimes we can honor our parents' legacy in the very choices we make that they disapprove of. That it is possible, as we see the model of Jesus, to honor your parents without compromising yourself. When, when I was meditating on this passage with, you know, this man who Jesus loves and Jesus' mother coming together, I, I couldn't help but think of our most recent widespread global pandemic uh, prior to coronavirus, which was AIDS. 
which is really not too long ago. And for many gay men, the first time that their lovers and their parents met each other was around their hospital bed when they were dying. And most cases, many cases, those meetings do not go well. You know, the parents kick out those lovers and say, you don't belong here, you gave him AIDS, that type of thing. But in some cases, those meetings were transformative. The New York Times recently um, had an article about Nita Pippins, who's a 93-year-old woman who recently died due to coronavirus, unfortunately. Um, and in 1987, when she was about 60 years old, she was living in Pensacola, Florida. She got a call from her 33-year-old son saying that he was gay and he couldn't get out of bed because he had AIDS. So she flew over and took care of him for the next three years and for the first bit really kept his illness a secret, didn't tell anyone. But she began meeting his lover, his friends, of you know members of a theater group, people with AIDS that he started. And she began to be transformed. She started becoming his friend's surrogate mothers, holding their hands as they lay dying because their mothers weren't there. She started calling parents of, of um, people with AIDS that she that weren't visiting, begging them to come and visit their children and meeting them and buying them breakfast and housing them and starting a nonprofit called Miracle House um, for out-of-town parents of um, sick children in New York City. And now, you know, as I was watching an interview with her, when she introduces her work, she says very clearly, explicitly, my son died of AIDS and this is why I do my work. So you see, she, she moved from a place where she was ashamed of him to a place where she was proud and honoring him beyond his death. And I think here, I just want to acknowledge that the fifth commandment to honor your parents assumes uh, a sort of scenario in which kids outlive their parents and have to take care of them. And that's, you know, the way things should be, that sort of natural order of things. But sometimes tragedies and injustices happen and parents outlive their kids and parents are the ones who have to bury their children and take care of them, which no parent should ever have to do. And so today, you know, I'm... I want to take some time to think of the mothers and the parents of who have lost children to police violence or who've lost their children in general. Mothers of Ahmed Arbery, Rihanna Taylor, Tony McDade, George Floyd, in particular mothers who've had to watch the world watch their children die. Deaths are often humiliating and dishonorable. And all of this makes me think of Mary, the mother of Jesus who watched her son at 33 years old dying at the hands of the state. And I know we tend to focus obviously on those who've died, but I want to just take a moment to honor the mothers and the parents and the aunts and the uncles and the siblings and the cousins who they were forced to leave behind. And particularly if you're interested in learning more, there's an organization called Mothers Against Police Brutality. Um, and I want to lift up particularly Gwen Carr, the mother of Eric Garner, who died in 2014. And his, his last, uh, you know, now unfortunately famous words were, I can't breathe. Um, he was under a chokehold by the police. And since that day, what happened to her son, Gwen Carr has quit her job. She's a full-time civil rights activist, you know, speaking at demonstrations, talking to other moms and calling the siblings of George Floyd and holding our mayor accountable for basically cutting mental health services and homeless aid and social services while increasing police budgets. She is honoring her son beyond his death. And I think that is the full picture of the gospel. It's not just about kids honoring parents, but it's fundamentally about community in which we're mutually honoring one another. In Romans 12, Paul says, writes to the church, we must all seek to honor one another above ourselves. He takes the commandment to honor our parents and goes one further and says, calls for a mutual honoring of everyone within our community. So yes, we have to ask how we must honor our parents, our aging parents in particular, how we must give weight to them. But I think we should also be asking how we should honor each other. 
especially those whom our society has deemed unworthy of honor. Thank you for listening um, with us today. I'm going to close this in prayer. God, may you lift up those whom have um, our society and our country and our world has deemed dishonorable. May we honor them with our lives, with our actions, with our hearts. May we honor those who are most vulnerable, who are unable to take care of themselves, who are dependent on others for life. Thank you, Lord, for um, this time to pray and to be with each other together today. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.